Jesus, we now take these moments. We tune our hearts and our minds, our spirits to you. We open up ourselves to say, God, we want to receive something from you, something from your word today that's going to refresh us, that's going to challenge us, that's going to equip us for the journey and the mission ahead. In your name, Lord, amen, amen. Have you ever heard the term opposition research? Opposition research? Opposition research, it's a lot of times done by political parties because what they do is they try to find the dirt on their opponents, right? They want to like dig up all the nasty stuff because what what they want to do with opposition research is they want to take their opposition and they want to find something negative that they can like rub their noses in and like tell the world about how bad they are. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to build up their candidate by tearing the others down. And that's called opposition research. If you, if you haven't been familiar with that term, well, guess what? Put on your seatbelts because over the next year, you're gonna be hearing a lot of opposition research. I mean, you're gonna be hearing a lot during this next presidential election cycle, that's, that's for sure, because they pay tons of money for people to find the worst things, right, about their opponents. So hopefully it gives their candidate an advantage. Well, listen, today we're gonna to be doing some of our own opposition research, but we're gonna do it with the help of the Apostle Paul. And we're gonna do it in a way that is way more helpful and beautiful and beneficial. But guess what? You know what we find out in scripture? We are under opposition. We are being opposed. So wouldn't it be wise for us to spend a few minutes to research what kind of opposition that we are facing so that with God's help, we can learn to face it with strength, face it with God's grace. And what we're gonna see even come out the other side more than conquerors. You ready? We're in Romans chapter eight, and it's a a bit of a longer passage, but we're gonna put it up on the screen. If you have your Bibles there with you, um, we're gonna be reading from Romans 8, 31 through 39. Follow along with me. If God is for us, Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute, yikes? or in danger, or threatened with death. And then Paul inserts this little parenthetical reminder. It's actually quoting here from Psalm 44. 
where it says, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. I don't hear any amens. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, if you aren't doing the 260 reading along with us as we're reading all 260 chapters of the New Testament together as a church family, you're missing out. And this week, this was part of our reading in Romans chapter eight. It's just so enriching. But listen, Paul asks in here a series of what sound like rhetorical questions. Uh, You know what a rhetorical question is, right? It's like when you ask something, but you're not really intending that they would give you an answer. You know, you're just trying to make your point by, by saying something that is rhetorical, right? Like, I mean, who wouldn't want to have a million dollars? That's a rhetorical question. We're all like, duh. <laughs> of course we'd all like a million dollars. But what I want to share with you here is that the questions that Paul is asking here are not rhetorical questions. Who can come against us? Can anything separate us from the love of God? Listen, I, I want to tell you that I believe that these are not rhetorical questions, but Paul crafted them with great intent to engage our minds and our spirits, and they like demand an answer. They like demand us to really think through and say, wow, what, who does come against us? Who does attack us? Can I ever be separated from? We need to like wrestle through these things. So Paul asks what sounds like rhetorical questions, but they are not. They demand our attention. They demand an answer. Paul wants us to recognize and wrestle with the truth that there are many who are against us. We do face accusation and condemnation. And all of this can make it difficult to remember the unending love of Jesus that's for you and for for me. But the cool thing is that in response to each of these questions, Paul inserts something. He, He inserts some truth about Jesus that he wants us to remember so that each time these questions come up, we would have a truth, a promise about Jesus himself that would help us to reflect when we are facing opposition. Now, when we read this passage, we find that there is opposition that is coming against us from at least three different directions. And you can kind of picture yourself maybe on a battlefield. You know, it's not hard today. You know, in today's news cycles, we see a lot of battlefield footage. It's like picture yourself on the battlefield and there are, 
there's opposition coming against you from three different directions. Sometimes it feels like all at once, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm being triangulated against. You know, you hear about, oh man, they're on my flank. They're trying to outflank us. Well, guess what? We face a lot of opposition. And we see here in this passage that there is opposition coming from at least three different directions. From the devil and his allies, from ourselves, we'll talk about that, and from the difficulties that we face. So I wanna take the next minutes and just kind of unpack each of those three different kinds of oppositions we face that Paul talks about in this passage. The first opposition that he talks about is that we face opposition from the devil and his allies. And that was right at the beginning. Check this out. It's in verses 31 and 32 that Paul said this, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Then he reminds us of the promise, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? See, God is for you. So really, can anyone be against us? Can anyone really be against you and God's for you? The answer is absolutely yes. Sorry. The answer, that's what I'm saying. This is not a rhetorical question. The answer is actually, uh, yeah, Paul, others can be against. If God, God is for me, but you know what? Man, the, the world is filled with things that are coming against. Yes, Paul. Others can be against me. The fact that God is on my side does not prevent the enemy from consistently coming against me. That's the truth. And we see it all through scripture. In fact, it was Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8 that says this is stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, roar, okay, roar, he's coming, right, I mean, it's like, he's, he's out there prowling around, looking for who he can pick off, there is someone of darkness, the devil, Satan himself, that is out to get us, Jesus said, the, called him the thief, and John 10, 10 says the thief is always out to come to steal, kill, and destroy. We face a dark opposition. But guess what? It's not only the devil who is against us. It's not only Satan who is opposed to us. Everyone who is aligned with his agenda to take you out is also against you and is in opposition to you. Remember who wrote this? This was the Apostle Paul. There's a couple different places in the New Testament. One of them is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul kind of goes into detail about the hardships that he's faced. <laughs> yeah, some were right straight from hell, but others were just from nasty people, really bad people. So he talks about how he was unjustly thrown into prison. The devil didn't do that. 
but the devil's allies did, right? Talks about how he was whipped. Talks about how he was beaten with rods. Talks about how he was literally stoned with rocks and left for dead. He talks about all these things and in the middle of this section, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles, like not to leave anybody out. And he goes on and says, I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. Listen, all of us haven't, been falsely imprisoned. All of us haven't been whipped or left for dead. But I think all of us can relate to the fact that sometimes people, sometimes even the ones very closest to us, you know, that we put our trust in can really all rise up in opposition against us. We face opposition, both from the devil and from his allies, and it can be incredibly painful. And so much so that we can ask, God, where are you in all of this opposition? Where are you? But Paul, the one who had faced all of this incredibly intense opposition, he responds to that question with a promise. Something for us to consider when we face opposition, something that I believe can change everything if we can get this all the way down into our souls. He says this, and we got it on the next slide. It's in Romans 8, 32. He says, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Listen, just this morning, we held in our hands the symbol of that gift, the greatest gift that there has ever been. It is the gift of gifts. Nothing can surpass it. We held in our hands the bread and the cup and we, we celebrated this reality. And it's a reminder, right? It's just a reminder that if, if God was willing to give his very best for you, to give of himself, to give of his son, do you think it's outside of his will for you that he's gonna give you everything else that you need so that you can make it through the opposition that you face. Now, how, no matter how dark, no matter how dire, no matter how challenging, no, no matter how much it feels like you just wanna give up, we need to remember that God gave his very best and is willing to give everything that is needed everything that is needed for us to find success and our way through challenging times. If God sacrificed his very son for us, do you think he would now cancel the value and the power of what Jesus did on the cross? Do you think he would invalidate that by refusing now to help us? <laughs> no way. Instead, God promises to give us everything else that we would need. Listen, not to make life easy, by the way, right? We're seeing, man, we get attacked, that's not easy. Not to make life easy, but to make it good. 
to bring us through all the way to the ultimate goal. What, what's the ultimate goal? That I, in this life, would be mature in the ways of Jesus, that I would be like him. And then in the next life, have life forever with Jesus. That's what Jesus, he's gonna give us everything that we need to get across the finish line in beautiful ways. That's what he's gonna give us. Now, in this message, it would take too long to, to try to unpack. I mean, this could be a whole series and maybe that would be good next year, right? Next year when, we're, when we've gone through our 260, all the New Testament, maybe we'll come back to this because it says that he's gonna give us everything else. Wanna give you everything else? It would be great to do a long series and just like, wow, what are all the different things that God would give to us? But I wanna just like throw out a handful so that you can kind of get a taste, right? Of what, what, what does God give us? What is some of the everything else? Number one, he gives us a place within his own family. He calls you a son or a daughter. And you know what? You have all the rights, privileges, and authority of a child of the king. We are not orphans. We've been adopted in, grafted into his family. He's, he's given us his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit. He's gonna come. He's gonna bring comfort where comfort is needed. He's gonna give guidance where guidance is needed. He's gonna do all of these things as a gift for us. One of the things that he gives is spiritual gifts. It's another thing that, that God will give us everything that we need. He'll give us spiritual gifts. Why? So that we can become spiritual activists. <laughs> he wants you to be a spiritual activist. So he gives you, he equips you with gifts so that in your workplace, in your home, and in your neighborhood, and out in the world, that you can actually do the very acts of God. You feeling me? He also gives us a community. He places us within a, a family, a, a church body. He places there so that we are not walking this journey alone, but that we actually have others to go hand in hand, side by side with, because we are on mission, not by ourselves. We are on mission together. He gives us everything that we need to bring us successfully all the way across the finish line. Hey, will any attack you? Mm-hmm. Yes, Paul, we get it. But guess what? We have received the gift of all gifts, Jesus on the cross, and everything else that we need for success when we face opposition. But there's another kind of opposition that then he gets immediately into. Not only do we face, number one, opposition from the devil and his allies, we also, uh-oh, we receive opposition from ourselves. We can become some of our own worst enemies. Tim, where do you see that? I didn't catch that in the scripture. Well, let me tell you where I see that and then we'll, we'll talk about it. It's in the next couple of verses, verse 33 and 34 of Romans 8, when Paul writes this, a non-rhetorical question, 
Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So why would we, here's here's the question I think we gotta wrestle with, the non-rhetorical question. Why would we, God's children, still feel at times accused, sometimes condemned? I believe it's because we are broken people. Saved, but still mending. Faithful, and yet at times acting in ways that are faithless. Sometimes in ways that are way outside of God's will. Sometimes we still feel the impact of sin in our own lives. So who will accuse, who will condemn? Sometimes we accuse ourselves. In fact, whenever we choose to live in ways that are outside of God's will, it creates this guilt in us. It's a guilt that comes from knowing I am not living the full and free life that God intended and that Jesus died to pay for. He died in order that I could have this full and free life. And you know what we do? We feel guilty when we are not living according to God's standards for how we would live into that. So we know, we know why we feel accusation and condemnation because we know that any judge would say guilty. But then Paul gives us the very, very best news that your friend happens to be the judge. (laughs) That you are friends with this judge. And do you know what this judge has said? Do you know what he said? You you just go back to the first verse of this same chapter, chapter eight of Romans. Do you know what he says? This is what the judge says, Romans 8, 1. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no, he's like, I do not condemn you. We feel accused, we feel condemned because we have strayed outside of God's will. So we feel a guilt from our own sin. But he declares there is no condemnation. How is this possible? It's possible because what Paul has said right here in these verses. Check this out. Check out these, check out verses 33 and 34 again. God himself has given us right standing with himself. The judge says no condemnation. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. 
Jesus died for us, right, communion. He raised to life for us, like in power, claiming victory over every realm of death that would try to come against us. He's already victorious over that. And then it says, but there's a current reality. It says that he is at that place of authority, God's right hand, pleading for us. Some versions say interceding for us. You know what it means? He's praying for you. He is praying for you. I wonder what that prayer sounds like. If we had longer, I'd, I, we could go back to, to read some of Jesus' prayers. Go to John 17 on your own, and you can actually hear maybe what some of this sounds like. But, but I think it's, he probably is praying something like this. Father, let nothing come between me and my child. Let nothing come between me and those who put their trust in me. No sin, no addiction, no pride, no doubt, nothing. But I wanna tell you, the, the goal here though is not that we would avoid all guilt. Talks about accusation, talks about condemnation, but I wanna tell you that guilt actually plays a very important role in our spiritual formation and development. See, guilt is what we feel when we have strayed outside of God's will. It's what we feel. In fact, we're supposed to feel, and I'll show you why in a second. We're supposed to feel it. In fact, I believe one of the, the biggest markers of spiritual immaturity is this not feeling anything when we stray into sin. I think one of the biggest markers of spiritual immaturity is when we don't feel anything when we sin. There is a design. It is a Holy Spirit elbow to the ribs of our conscience that should rattle our bones with some guilt that says, what am I doing? What am I doing? I have strayed away from the will of God. And we see that, in fact, it's in John 16, eight. Let me, I'll just tell you, you can look this up later. John 16, eight says, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us, not condemn us, convict us of sin. It's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit to remind you and me and the whole world when we've got it wrong. So he brings conviction into our stories. So I think part of the prayer of Jesus probably sounds like this. Father, you see my son Tim down there? Mm -hmm. God bless him. But spirit, go do your thing in Tim's life. Cause him to see that he's walked outside of my plan. And yes, make sure that he feels the sting of guilt so that he will run back to me to be embraced by me because I love him. 
And so that he'll experience the wholeness, the forgiveness that he needs and that I've already paid for. Father, do that for him. And just for a moment, I want to just share something here with you that there's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. I I mentioned both of those words. There is no condemnation. We read that, right? There's no condemnation. You are not walking condemned. But there should be this stirring of conviction. How do we know the difference? It's really pretty simple. Condemnation will always drive you further away from God where conviction will draw you nearer and nearer to God. It's hugely different. Condemnation is always what the enemy will heap on you when you've blown it. You messed up, you dirty sinner. You knew that you were walking away from the path that God has for you. You hypocrite. No one wants to be around you, especially God. Man, you are a stench to the heavens. Just walk away and give up now. Those things, if you've ever heard those kind of things rattle around in your soul, and we all have, that is because there is an accuser and there is one who would want to speak those condemning words that you've messed up. You did that one thing that you can never make right again. You did that one thing that God is never gonna forgive you for, so just give up. That's condemnation. Conviction really is the opposite. It's the opposite. And it's always the the voice of God himself. It's the Holy Spirit. Sure, we feel that nudge, right, in our conscience. We feel the sting of guilt. But you know what, what the Holy Spirit says to us? Yeah, 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 yeah. You stepped out, didn't you? And you're feeling that. But just come. Just return. That's not permanent. What Jesus did on the cross is permanent. There is no condemnation. All forgiveness, all hope, all things are yours. So just return to that place of embrace by Jesus. That's what conviction feels like. It causes to say, I can do this. I can press on. Yes, I can repent, but man, I'm gonna receive forgiveness and wholeness of life. Do you ever feel accused and condemned? The answer, Paul, is yes. Yes, and we do it to ourselves. But Jesus himself gives us the remedy. He died for us, he lives for us, and he is praying for us right now. The third thing, this third thing that we're kind of getting flanked by with opposition that Paul references here is the difficulties we face in life. The difficulties we face can just feel like huge separation from the love and tenderness of God. I'm gonna read part of what we read earlier, the first section Romans 8, 35 through 37. And Paul asks this non-rhetorical question, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Can anything? 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, pause. I want you to see that the Bible never sugarcoats reality. He says, despite all these things, all these things, the Bible never, do not believe anybody who tries to tell you, some preacher, some televangelist, some blogger, some whatever, who says that we should have this perfect life where we never face trials, difficulties, all these different things and more. Life is filled with challenge. We will face opposition, friends. And I love that the Bible is real about that. But you know what? He reminds us here, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. See, over and over in scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, we're told to anticipate, expect. There's gonna be trials, there's gonna be difficulties, there will be opposition against us. Sometimes it is vicious. Sometimes it even takes the life of someone who is a faithful follower of Jesus. We don't, we don't see that all, all the time here where we live, but can I tell you that people who study this and pe- missionaries and global agencies who track these kinds of things, you know what they tell us? That one in seven Christians around the world is facing dramatic persecution. The kind of persecution that Paul himself dealt with on the daily There's a ministry called Open Doors, and they say that in 2021, 360 million Christians, about one in seven around the world suffered significant persecution for their faith. And in that year, there was about an average of 16 different believers losing their lives for their faith every single day. Every single day, about 16 of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, guys, persecution is real. We, we may not face that kind, but we, we face some of the ones that mention persecution, all, all the kinds of things. And are we gonna face more in our lifetimes? Ah, if you follow the trajectory of the way the world is going, it's likely. Persecution may rob us of some things. Dignity, (laughs) maybe some freedoms that we have enjoyed over the last centuries, especially here in the United States. It may even cost us our lives. But you know what Paul wants to remind us of? And here's the promise. It will never rob us of the love of Jesus. Going through hardship is no indication that Christ loves you any, any less In fact, there's this very cool 
ending to that little part where it says in the version that we were reading that now in all of these things, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours. But you know what? I like it here in that verse in some other translations. This is the NIV that I put up here right now. This is that famous phrase where in verse 37, he says, in all these things, say in all these things, all the mess and brokenness and pain and persecution, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. We're just gonna finish with that phrase on our lips, more than conquerors. It's an interesting phrase because it's like, once you've won, how can you be more than a winner? Right? Once you've won, how, how can you like win more? How can you be more than a winner? How can you be more than a conqueror? See, there's different ways to win. And sometimes people just like win with a whimper. I mean, you barely make it across the finish line and it's like just flat out exhausted. You fall on your face. I ran a 5K once in my life. That's how I felt when I crossed the finish line. I literally fell over. No doubt. You know how we can be more than conquerors? How, how can you be more than a winner? How can you have overwhelming victory? It's like when you cross that finish line, it's not, you're not feeling just destitute and empty and everything's gone. And it's like, well, Jesus, I tried, you know, I, I made it. No, it's like when you like cross that finish line saying, God, you brought me through. I did this in your power. You know how we can be more than conquerors? Is in conquering, we actually grow. We actually grow, which is also talked about. Romans chapter five, James chapter one, count it all joy when you face troubles of all kinds. Why? Because it's gonna produce endurance. And you know what that endurance is gonna produce? Character. You know what that character is gonna produce? Maturity, being complete and whole in Christ Jesus. That's how we're more than conquerors, is that we not only win, but we come out better. We come out better by facing these things and facing these oppositions head on. Paul has led us through this series of questions that we really need to wrestle with. Are we gonna face attack? Yeah, do we sometimes sense that accusation and condemnation, right? Sometimes does it feel like, Jesus, where are you? Where's that love that you promised? And he's like, oh, I got you covered. I got you covered because I am for you. My salvation is yours. I'm right now praying for you, pleading your case. And my goal is to see you across that finish line in a way that you're gonna say, I am more than a conqueror because I've grown to that place of maturity and completion that Jesus intended for me. Let's pray. God, I, I'm not sure what this message may have stirred up in people's hearts and minds. 
Because it's very possible that there may be some here today that right now are under attack. In fact, maybe everybody in some way, big or small, where they're facing opposition, they're facing some real struggles. Maybe from the enemy of our souls directly, just like a hellish assault. Maybe it's through other people who are kind of working in concert with hell to really mess with us, to steal our joy. To steal that hope within us. To steal away that sense, Lord, and that acknowledgement of your love that you have for us. So God, I pray that these promises that we've reflected on, these promises that Paul just dropped into the conversation, Lord, that we would remember today the gift of gifts. Lord, your salvation. And if you've given us, Lord, your salvation by even going to the cross, Lord, why would you hold back anything else that we need to make it through today, to make it through this next season? to get us all the way across the finish line more than a conqueror, having grown, strengthened, become better through the process. So Jesus, I pray, Lord, for any who have been feeling hopeless, Lord, that they would just feel your hope. Lord, I pray that for all who are here today, join with us. I pray for all those who are watching online, listening to a podcast. There is hope for you, and it's hope found in the person of Jesus. Friends, if you don't know him <laughs> and all you feel is beat up and opposed, well, that is the enemy's goal because he did come, as Jesus said, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's bent on doing in your story. But Jesus has everything for you, everything. Hope, freedom, fullness of life. And you can come to him today just by saying yes to him, by saying, God, I have felt guilty. I have felt some of that accusation and condemnation because I, I know that I'm not living right. I know that I'm not living the way that you would want me to. And Jesus says, today is your day. Because <laughs> I went to the cross to secure your freedom, your salvation. Came to save you. And today, if you wanna say, Jesus, I wanna trust you with my life. I want to say yes to you and begin this journey of learning to be more than a conqueror with you on my side. Would you just like say, Pastor Tim, that's me. Just look up, wave your hand so I can agree with you. So I can just say yes with you. Yes, yes, yeah, man, yeah. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else that just wants to say today, I wanna to walk out of that guilt. Yeah, I see, I see you. Yep, I see you back there. Walking away from that guilt and experiencing forgiveness, freedom, hope, wholeness in Jesus. God, we love you. Thank you that you are always here for us no matter what it is that we're facing. May we go today, Lord, in hope and in freedom. I'm gonna invite our prayer team, just come right up right now. We have a number of people that are gonna be right up here. Don't leave today 
If you're carrying a burden, if you feel under attack, if you feel like, man, I'm facing some opposition, guess what God gives us? He gives us others in the family just to partner with, to pray with, to share a moment with, to receive a word, an impartation, something that will help you on your journey. So make sure that today before you leave, that you uh, receive something good from a brother or sister who's gonna pray with you and for you. Church, you are loved. Go in peace, go in favor. You are more than conquerors in him. Love you.